Okay, I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Matthew, Matthew chapter 14. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 21. Matthew chapter 14. Passage that you will probably be very familiar with, found in the different Gospels. Matthew chapter 14. As we begin reading with verse 13, now when Jesus heard it, he withdrew from there in a boat. Now what did he hear? Well, we've just been told that he heard about John the Baptist, right, and the death. He uh, withdrew from there in a boat to a lonely place by himself. When the multitudes heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when he uh, went ashore, he saw a great multitude and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him, saying, The place is desolate, and the time is already past. So send the multitudes away, that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. And ordering the multitudes to recline on the grass, he took the five loaves and two fish. And looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitudes. And they all ate, and they all were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve full baskets. And there were about 5,000 men who ate, aside from women and children. Some estimate up to 20,000. We, uh, we just don't know. But let's go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Father, as we come to you, we just want to thank you for this time to worship you. And I pray that our hearts and our minds will be in tune with you and what you have for us to to, uh, hear today. I pray that you will give us not only uh, instruction, but Lord, that you will help us in carrying out this instruction to live more faithfully for you, more obediently. And and I pray that as we do so, that we'll begin to see uh, wonderful and great and awesome things happen like we've never seen them before. But this can't happen without us being obedient, submissive to you, Lord. And I pray that we will. So I know that I can't deal with the hearts and lives. I can't stir their their minds and their hearts, not the way that you need them to be stirred and to be informed. Only you can do that. So I just ask that by your grace, as the Holy Spirit works today, that we'll see this happen in our service, in your service, in the time where we're to honor and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we, uh, we last saw in Matthew's account the execution, as I mentioned, of John the Baptist. And this account helps us to understand that the crucifixion of Jesus looms on the horizon. I mean, it's, that crisis is soon approaching. And we will see from here on uh, out that the identity 
question of Jesus will be the paramount question to answer or have answered. The question is going to be, who is this person that says these things, that teaches like we've never heard taught before, with authority like we've never understood before? Who is this person that does these miraculous things, that is fulfilling the scripture, in other words? The passages of Isaiah and other books concerning the Messiah. In the preceding chapters of Matthew, up to this point, there has been a great deal of speculation about who Jesus is. Now let me ask you, who do you say Jesus is? This is the question that they were having to be confronted with. Who is this man? There has also been an awareness that there is a difference, as I mentioned, about Jesus, concerning Jesus. As I said earlier, Jesus teaches not as the scribes and the Pharisees teach, but with authority. They saw this. In other words, he's not referencing someone else. He's not referring to someone else. He's using the authority that is unique, authority from above, really. Not only that, but he has said something that only God could say. You remember over and over again, he says, you have heard it said, but I tell you. Now, who can add to the scripture except God himself? Who can add to his word except God himself? And then, as I mentioned, these unique miracles and and, you know, we go on and on and on, and, and we mentioned that about John's disciples being, uh, you know, when John was in prison before he had uh, his head taken off, he sent word to Jesus by uh, way of his disciples, and he, he said, are you the anointed one? In other words, are you really? I'm in prison. I, you know, do we need to have someone prepare the way for somebody else? Are you really the one? I want to make sure. And he says, you have them go back, and you know what Isaiah says? And he quoted the passage, and he says, you know, he, he says this about the Messiah. This is what has happened. You have seen it yourself. So in chapter 13, we, uh, you know, we see on that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea in chapter 13, verse 1. But in chapter 14, it's it's not so much as clear a chronological uh, order placed before us. It is just the setting and the teaching there. And we don't know how much time span has occurred. And so we see here the feeding of the 5,000 plus. And we need to make sure that we understand that it wasn't just 5,000. As in throughout the Bible when a census was taken or or, you know, when, when they were counting uh, the, the family, they usually counted the men. And that did not include the, uh, you know, uh, the numbers put down uh, when they mentioned how many were here of the whole family usually. And so that, you know, here we see that there were women and children with them. And so, as I said earlier, you imagine this setting 
there's a, you know, could be up to 20,000 here. I mean, that's, that's a lot of people to feed, isn't it, right? When you don't have a McDonald's or, uh, you know, you don't have a Publix or you don't have somebody by fixing your food. And we'll talk about that in, in just a few moments. But in verse 13, it says, now, when Jesus heard it, he withdrew from there in a boat. He wanted to get alone to a lonely place by himself. And when the multitudes heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. And this is very important. I mean, they were still excited about this Jesus. Eh? The news, the crisis, the event of the cross is soon approaching. But all of this, they, they, uh, they have seen great things happen through him. And they're still wondering about who he is. And they also know that he performs these miracles. And they want these miracles performed with them. And so they're, you know, it's, it's getting time for, to eat and, and they leave their cities and they're following him and they're following on shore and they get there before Jesus does. Now usually when you get in a boat to go to a place, instead of walking around the, uh, the lake, you're, you're, it's more direct, isn't it? And so this was probably the reason they got in the boat so they could get over there quickly and it was a more direct path. But hey, they, they were so excited, they were so uh, enthused about this they were so curious about this that they were uh, you know uh, meeting him there by the time he got there and we see that the acceleration of pace as I said earlier is 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 approaching and and upon them and something that the disciples do not see yet and and do not understand yet is the time uh, uh, line that is triggering these events and that is the cross things are just getting you know just more intense and, and more rapid as time goes on and so in verse 13 we uh, were told when the multitudes heard of this they followed him on foot from the cities he withdrew from the crowd to get away from them privately just to get some rest hearing about John and also wanting to get some rest. And Luke tells us that Bethsaida uh, is a solitary place that they go to. Now this was most likely on the northeast coast of Galilee and the multitude followed on foot. And <clears throat> we, uh, we understand that this is right after John the Baptist uh, being beheaded and so this was all pointing towards the ultimate crisis that would come the ultimate event that would occur, the cross. In verse 14, we're told when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great multitude and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. Now we need to understand a very simple but very important principle here. Jesus was tired and he could have gotten away. He could have said, hey, I'll let, and, and you know, just... Uh, uh, miraculously and uh, given the disciples uh, the power to, uh, the authority to perform these miracles himself or themselves while he got away but he did not at this time and this lets us know that he felt compassion on them it says and healed their sick Jesus understands and is interested in our lives in each and every one of our lives it doesn't matter how many times you call upon God. 
It doesn't matter how many times you go to the Lord. Sometimes, I don't know if you like me, but you, get, you say, God, are you tired of listening to me? God, are you tired of me crying out to you? God, do you, you know, uh, are, you, are you really listening? Do you care? I mean, I have these questions. I have these thoughts. But we see that God does. He does care. And he does want us to come to him. And he does want us to depend upon him. He doesn't want us to carry our own yoke, does he? He doesn't want us to get overburdened. He doesn't want us to become tired. He doesn't want us to to be dependent upon ourselves. He wants us to understand that he is a source. The source of miracles, the source of strength, the source that cares. So that shows us Uh, You know, that he always is aware. And he's aware of what we are going through. Jesus' ambition here is to withdraw from the crowd. He is not looking to engage with the crowd. And it would seem that Jesus would have been discouraged by seeing the crowd. But... We see just the opposite. He has compassion on the crowd. And so he felt compassion for them and healed their sick. He felt compassion and that compassion translated into miracles of healing. Now, as we come to this, it points towards the miracle not Jesus is not just concerned with physical needs, although he is concerned with our physical needs. But these miracles that he was performing were miracles that pointed towards something far greater. You see, in the healing, it pointed towards the ultimate healing in salvation, where we come to God and, and we cry out to God, and God is there waiting for us. And Jesus has died on the cross for us so that we can come to to God through Jesus and say, God, I need to be cleansed. I need my sins forgiven. I need to be born again. I want to be in your family. And he has compassion on us. And he reaches down to us at that point. And he forgives us of our sins. And he cleanses us and brings us into the family of God. And he doesn't leave us there to do our own thing. He's there to help us as we walk our Christian life because we'll need him. It says, when evening had come, the disciples came to him saying, the place is desolate and the time is already past. In other words, hey, it's, it's supper time. You know, it's, it's a lunch time, whatever. It's, it's time to send them home, man. They're tired. They've been with us. They've left their, their towns and, and they left in a hurry and they didn't bring food, at least most of them. So send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. And hopefully they'll go into the villages where McDonald's is open most of the night, you know, where they can still get food or whatever. We'll see how hard it was For this to be accomplished on their own in just a moment. Jesus does not argue with them 
about whether they need food or not. He tells them, you give them something to eat. Now, wait a minute, Jesus. Do you understand what you're saying? Do you understand what is involved here? Do you understand that this involves an all-day type thing? This was very, you know, interesting because to prepare a meal, you, you had a full-time person in the home, and that was a mother usually. And if something happened to the mother, she got sick or whatever, it was the daughters or someone else that was appointed that. But they couldn't just, they didn't have refrigerators and other places to store food. They didn't have freezers. Man, they had to prepare it, and it was a preparation for a greater part of the day. It was full-time work. And you didn't just drum up something today. We, we get this misconception, oh, well, you know, they could have gone in town and found something. Hey, this just doesn't happen. They didn't have McDonald's. They didn't have Burger King. They didn't have, you know, uh, uh, Ryan's and, and others that uh, we used to go to. And they didn't have all of these things, all of these places. You just couldn't drum it up. It was an all-day preparation. He saw their need, first of all, for healing the sick. Now there was another need, and that need was to feed them. And this feeding them ultimately was showing them that he was the bread of life. And that there's far more than just filling the soul with food, the body with food. There is a filling the, the spirit, the soul with, with God's spirit to be born again. To be forgiven, to receive the, uh, the, the bread of life which Jesus is. And so we see that uh, the need for forgiveness is being brought forth before these people through this simple miracle. Jesus tells the disciples that the multitude does not need to go away. We need to remember that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that's what he was trying to teach them. And being the Messiah, the Son of God, meant that he had the resources to feed these 5,000 plus. But not only that, he was also, as I said, teaching them the ultimate lesson that he had the resources through dying on the cross, the perfect sacrifice to take care of the sins of the world. That's a greater need. So, it tells us now it's now approaching evening and the crowd is desperate. We need, to, uh, we need to see that the need for salvation, there is a need for salvation. And before these people, you know, they, they were so involved in this and involved in Jesus that they didn't even, some of them didn't even see their need, their hunger need right away. But the disciples did. They saw that they, they had been without all day long. And so in turn, uh, if we are to approach Jesus 
And if we're to, to get our sins forgiven, and if we're to uh, approach Jesus and, and see that uh, you know, we can't live this Christian life on our own, and if we're to approach Jesus, and, and, and uh, we must see that there is a need in our life, first of all, for that salvation. And as we're born again, we must see each and every day that there needs to be a filling by His Spirit to, to operate the way that we should as a child of God. We can't do it on our own. It took a great uh, deal to prepare a meal, as I said. And there was no way one could, uh, you know, could come up with a meal like this to take care of all these people. It was impossible to meet the need. And it's the same way when we come to Jesus. If we're really going to get his forgiveness to begin with, and if we're really going to be effective as Christians, we've got to understand that you're not going to do it on your own. Yes, we are going to serve the Lord, but we're not going to be effective for God's kingdom until we realize that he is the source behind it all. Too often we make our own plans, we make our own uh, things to do, and, and we come up with our own energy and, and our own efforts, and we never confront God about it. We need to realize that we need to come to Him. And that it was impossible, and it's impossible for us to serve God effectively and bring honor and glory to Him the way that we should without him and his source of help. And then Jesus loves to work in the realm of the impossible. It was impossible to feed all these people without a miracle from heaven. But Jesus works in the realm of impossible because that's when he really gets his glory. That's when we can't explain it. You've had things happen to you in your life. You say, well, you know, I just, I don't understand how that happened. People come up to you and you say, man, you made it through that, that situation. I don't see how you did it. And you look and you say, well, I was praying all the time for God to help me. For God to bring me through that situation and you know he did and then also only those who understand that they can't provide for themselves will come in desperation and above everything else want Jesus is that your desire today? Above everything else, do you want Jesus? You know, food, none of them were crying out for food at that time, were they? If you look at it, the disciples are the ones that made the comment to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? They were willing to forfeit and go without all of that just to be with Jesus. So that he would heal their sick. So that they could hear him 
and be with him. Are we willing to do that? Are we? Are we willing to come forfeiting all to be in desperation and say, God, I want you more than anything else? That's wholeheartedly following God. Now, to understand this better, we need, to, we need to look at our situations and be honest. I can't say, can't say what's in your life, but I can say what's in my life. But I can't even say that correctly, everything that's involved there and how I look at things without God's help. Does family mean more to us than God? Our children, our grandchildren. Now, I'm not saying abandon them. I'm saying turn them over to the Lord. Everything. Does our jobs, do our jobs mean more than the Lord? Are we compromising in our jobs to get ahead just because we want that money and we want that security there? Are we trusting God with our jobs? What about our finances? A lot of times I've, I've heard people, and I know it's very difficult. Don't get me wrong. It, you know, expenses are, are tough. But I've heard people tell me, you know, I just can't afford to give. I can't afford to tithe. Can we afford not to? Can we? Have we turned our money over to the Lord? Do you know what Debbie and I, and we're not the best example. I mean, it's, we're an example. When we got married, we didn't tithe at first. I was a new convert. And so after about a year, uh, really got convicted in a message and and, and through teaching in the church. And, and we sat down and I said, you know, and Debbie was ready to. She was, she'd been a Christian a lot longer than I had. And I said, you know, we, we really need to start tithing. And she said, yeah. Now, I won't tell you, this was when I was in school. And you say, well, when haven't you been in school? Well, I, I know that, but, <laughs> but this was when I was in school. And I was working at Sears at night. She was working in a, the office at a carpet mill. And at first she was working downtown in, in a, a, a clothing store. And we, we weren't making the best of money. We really weren't. And it was tough and we had school and we had to pay for expenses there. But God began to show us if we set aside this amount it was amazing how that little amount of 10% set aside or, or 15% how much the other percent went after a while now one that we didn't have to pay off stuff and we we did but that, that, is, that has been amazing. You watch 
and you watch God and see how he provides. And you say, I don't, I don't think it'll work. But it did. And it has. And I'm still amazed at it. Really am. Now, I don't tithe anymore because I've already tithed all I want to, you know, all I need to is, no, I tithe all my life. That's, God is, has said, okay, I know you need this amount to live on. I'll take care of it. But the ministry, you giving back, you, you just give this amount. And it's been great. Has it always been easy? He's, give, he's, he's given us what we need. That's it. See, Jesus doesn't tell us that we won't have our needs met. That's the neat thing about it. Only that our need for salvation is greater than anything that we want to put ahead of him. His kingdom is greater. You see, he doesn't tell us that that we're not hungry when we're hungry, does he? He doesn't tell us that we're not sick when we are sick. And, and Jesus is not a Christian scientist who tells you that disease and death is an illusion. He recognizes the physical need. He even takes care of that need when necessary. He's not in, uh, you know, a, a Gnostic who thinks that the needs of the body are, are something that is embarrassing or that the body isn't that important. No, Jesus is not saying that. Jesus helps those around understand that their physical needs point to something far greater, and that is a spiritual need. When we are well, we think we're fine, and we don't need anything. But that is not the purpose that Jesus has been trying to get across through these miracles with sickness. Jesus has been teaching the sick that the healing that occurs points to something far greater, and that is our sin and it being taken care of. Healing points to the healing that comes through Jesus as forgiveness is applied. It isn't just like being hungry. We can be fed and think that we are full and soon that hunger comes again. Jesus himself rebuked Satan and said, man cannot live by bread alone. In other words, he's telling us that there is far, something far greater and that is him the great physician, the bread of life. So he takes the five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, these loaves were like small biscuits. They were smaller than Debbie's, and they were flat, you know. I know y'all say Debbie's biscuits are small, but they, they were smaller, uh, probably smaller than that, and they were flat. Pita bread, uh, something like that, you know, and breaks it off, and, and uh, you know, when he breaks it off, what does he do? And this isn't about the boy giving the, the loaves. He's, he's involved in it. He's part of it. God blesses him by doing this. But he takes his basket, five loaves, two fish, and then he begins to multiply it. And you know the neat thing about it is the disciples 
uh, you know, that they don't understand fully, but they are obedient to the Lord, and God uses them. People, we may not understand everything about God. I get so tired of hearing people have all the answers, you know, and religious people. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't continue to grow and, and continue to try and, and uh, get the, uh, as many answers as possible, but I want to tell you something. I don't know everything about that book, and I dare say anyone in here knows everything about that book. I am, it's amazing that I am always learning every week as I study. And if you're doing the same thing, then you're learning every week. And if you're not learning, then you need to get on your knees and ask God to help you to start learning. Because you've stopped growing. But what I'm saying is, these disciples didn't know everything. We don't know everything, but God will still use us. He took those disciples apart and said, okay, I want you to distribute this. And guess what? He wants us to distribute his message to a world that needs to know him you say I can't share my faith do you have a testimony about what Jesus has done in your life if you're born again then you have a testimony and that testimony is that you at one time needed Jesus Everybody on board there? Amen? You needed Jesus. You recognize that. For us that were older that got saved, like when I was in my senior year in high school, or some that even older than that, you probably had a lot more, and you said, hey, I really understood that I needed salvation. If you were a young kid, then you were taught that you were a sinner and that you needed your sins forgiven. You may not have understood a lot about it, but you still understood that. And so you accepted the Lord. Now, what has he done in your life since you accepted the Lord? Well, he's, he's brought me alone. He's uh, along. He's, he's helped me to understand that, uh, you know, it's... Um, that I'm going to still have struggles and I still depend upon him. That He's always there for me and, and he, he helps me through this. And, and, you know, I may not always get everything that I, I want, but he's always provided me everything that I need. And one day I'm going to be with him forever and I'm not, I'm not going to need anything. He's going to be there with me. Does that make sense to you? Do you, have you ever had anything like that happen to you? Now, if you could say that, basically, something along that line, then you can witness to somebody. Say, so but I feel uncomfortable. We'll bring them to someone else. Pray for them. But get the food and take it out. That's all Jesus. I mean, that's a blessing. How many in here? I'm not going to ask you. I'm not going to embarrass you. But how many in here have, has led one person or more to the Lord in their life? Don't hold up your hand. Isn't that a joy doing that? Isn't that a joy seeing a person come out of darkness into light? And guess what? 
You didn't do it. You were just taking the bread to them. God saved them. He met their need. He provided that for them. That's all we have to do. Be available. And do you know what happens? Were any of them dissatisfied once they received the food? Said all of them were satisfied, didn't it? Wow. Once you receive Jesus, he takes care of it all. But not only that, he not only forgives your sin and cleanses you, but he's with you every day. How many baskets do they have left over? Twelve. Wow. Jesus has plenty for your whole life. He gives us an abundance. Salvation is not part-time. Salvation is not temporary. Salvation is for all eternity. Let's bow our heads and pray.